0: God in unexpected places. This is
1: the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Jamal Javaji is a graduate of Liberty University. He's the author of Free to Love and the newly released Living for a Living. He's the host of the Lovecast and one of three co-hosts of the popular Heretic Happy Hour podcast. He's a life coach, newlywed, and deep thinker, and I'm grateful to have him with me here today on the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Welcome, Jamal Javanji.
0: Thank you so much, Jason. It's fantastic to be here. Really honored to be on your podcast.
1: Tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what's brought you to the place you're in in life right now.
0: Yeah, wow. Well, I give you, yeah, i give you a little bit of background. And I always <clears throat> like to, you know, start with my parents just because it, it, it shaped so much of um, my outlook on life and my upbringing, but my, my dad is, um, he's actually of Indian heritage from, from India, but, uh, he didn't grow up there. He actually grew up in East Africa, um, grew up in a little Island called Zanzibar, which at the time was a part of the British, it was a British empire, it was a, a colony. And, uh, so he grew up there, um, as a, uh, from a, a Shiite Muslim family, and uh, there're a lot of indians in that part of the world just because of the british how that's kind of how the um the british settled things and so a lot of folks migrated from india which was also british colony at the time so and settled east africa but he grew up in zanzibar <clears throat> and um and then there was a revolution on the island they became independent and there was a lot of political instability so then they his family escaped to kenya lived in kenya for a while and then my mom is actually from ohio southeastern ohio she kind of grew up mm-hmm. on a in the, country, in the country. And, um, yeah, so they were pen pals, <laughs> you know, crazy story. They, they wrote to each other back and forth for about, gosh, about six years. And then my dad, um, proposed in a letter and she accepted. And that's how he ended up coming to the United States. And, uh, it's pretty, it's a very unlikely story just because, you know, in my dad's faith and his community, they, you know, it wasn't typical for for men to marry outside of that, and uh, but my dad, because of his situation, um, when when he they left Zanzibar because of the revolution and went to Kenya. Um, there was a lot of just at that time, a lot of those countries were becoming independent, and there was a lot of racial tension just because of you know in the British system, the Indians were more of the economic kind of favored class, and and after that, after the after independence. Uh, There was a lot of just backlash against, um, against them. So my dad could not get a job. I hadn't really no, no prospects in Kenya. He wasn't a citizen of Kenya and he lost his, he was from Zanzibar, but he lost his citizenship there. So he kind of had no country and no place to really, it was a pretty desperate situation. So he, um, he felt like he needed to ask my, you know, to his last hope was to reach out to this American woman he was writing and propose and and my mom which was interesting she was devout catholic and uh, had converted to catholicism and was going to become a nun and that didn't work out like uh, uh, the priest you got you need to have a priest backing to become a nun uh, <clears throat> i don't know how, if that's still the case but it was then and he just felt like it wasn't for her and uh, she was pretty at a crossroads in her life and when he proposed it just was the right timing and she accepted and I'm thankful. So I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. Yeah. So they, you know, being like she's a devout Catholic, he's a devout Muslim. And my dad was devout, you know, in his faith. And so it was one of those things that they agreed. they both, you know, recognized that was a part of each other's lives and they, you know, weren't trying to convert each other. Um, so they agreed to disagree <clears throat> about faith and they just respected each other. That um, of course, until kids came in the in the scene, and then my brother, I have an older brother, and then when my brother and myself were born, um, you know, my dad's assumption was, especially since we're sons, you know, you know, his duty is to raise us as Muslims, and that's what he did, and um, and then my mom was very adamant that they're going to be Catholics, that we're going to be Catholic boys, and so there was just tension in our house, and so I grew up in that kind of a backdrop of watching. These, you know, and I was always, I would always classify myself as a spiritual seeker. I was always interested, like what, trying to figure out what is going on. And I remember just watching my dad pray five times a day. And obviously my mom would go to church and we, she had all this, you know, paraphernalia Catholic, you know, crucifixes and stuff on the wall. And I just, I was trying to make sense of, out of all of it. Um, And it was just really difficult um but i the bit, the deeper thing in life i was like trying to figure out is why like what's this all about like why are we here and that's kind of um i would you know my dad coming from africa <clears throat> or growing up in east africa life is obviously very different than the united states i had i was born here so i didn't know that but what i did pick up on is this deep sense of struggle the sense of um which which affected you know my dad grew up in in the midst of lots of poverty, even though his family did okay, it still was traumatizing, and he carried that sense of anxiety and needing to survive and make ends meet. And I, I just saw that stress; I could pick up on that. Life was a burden; it was difficult in my dad's world, and and even for my mom, she grew up in a very, you in know, impoverished way too. So I just remember picking up and that like going, "Is so? Are we here to just like?" I mean, I saw, I saw their, their devout faith, but it was like, okay, they seem to be going through those motions of trying to <clears throat> do the right thing and get peace from God, but they didn't ever seem to find it. And this big thing was it's really all the time and energy that goes into working and paying the bills. That to me seemed like, Oh, that's why we're here. And that was not good news for me. Cause I was like, what's the point? Like <clears throat> you just work and pay the bills. Um, and then what do you do? Then what comes next? That was my biggest question. What's this all about? <clears throat> and that was that was that kind of that whole struggle just colored my, um, my upbringing. And uh, that's, that's kind of what um, led me on my journey.
1: In the book, Living for a Living, which I really love, by the way, Jamal, I really appreciate this book. You talk about a heinous lie that we start to believe uh, often as a child that sets us up for future failure. At the introduction of a shadow self, can you unpack those two concepts for us a little bit?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, like as far as the shadow self goes, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is, um, I think you're probably referencing. Um, so I have a daughter, um, and then so she, and I'm a grandfather because she actually had a um, a son a few years ago, and I remember, and he was born prematurely, and I remember just looking, um, it was in the NICU, and just kind of looking at him, this little. Little person in this, um, in this enclosure, you know, and it's all this technology is around him. There's doctors, there's nurses, and there's just all this attention on him, and it's costing you know uh, <laughs> just exorbitant amounts of money. And nobody, and but but none of that even mattered. Like what mattered was this person, this little life that was struggling to survive, and that that person was seen as the most important person in the room i mean it just it's just the essence i mean my daughter was focused on this baby we were all focused the doctors nurse everybody was there for his well being because he was worth it and that nobody questioned that <clears throat> nobody questioned like what is he going to do what is he going to produce is he going to be able to give back like is he going to be able to pay all this off somehow and I was like you know it was never even a question Um, and that sent, and I was just, I was just kind of reflecting on that and thinking about at some point in his life though, what's going to get communicated to him either through his own, just, you know, awakening to a sense of inadequacy or just, you know, obviously the world is always communicating these messages, but human beings typically are the only species that question their worth. Like, do I really belong here? And, you know, this sense of like, I need to prove my existence somehow. Like birds, you know, typically aren't conscious of that. You know, trees, dogs, all, you know, the, every other species is just, it just, they're just being who they are. But humans are just have this question of like, I need to prove my significance. And <clears throat> th- th- this idea of a shadow self is, it, it, what it does is when, when we ever, when we when we have this co- concept of our self as being um, less than, or that somehow we are not significant in our own being, that somehow we need to prove that. We need to show the world that, hey, we belong here. We have a place. See, this is, a, this is why I'm, I'm supposed to be here. Um, even though I do believe every one of us is here for a specific reason, um, it's the sense of significance that we're chasing down, and that will actually form an identity. Um, but it's not a true identity, but it's an identity in Getting value or getting meaning out of the chase, so to speak, chasing this thing down. And that means we have, we have a view of ourselves that is uh, not yet significant. And the way I look at it is, like I go back to, I mean, just to use the analogy in the Bible in Genesis of, of Adam and Eve in the garden. I love I love the story. Uh, for me personally, it's it's an it's a it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor of something deeper. So I don't get caught up in the details of the story of like did that actually happen. It's like no, we, we have we're missing the point if we do that because it's like there's a story being communicated here, a metaphor, and the, you have these two human beings that were made. In the image and likeness of God already, they were already like God. They were, they were, they were created to be an image bearer, like to be a reflection of the source. This is why they're here. And yet the serpent communicates like, Hey, you could be like God if you ate from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and took on this, you know, and by the way, God doesn't really want you to, to be like him. So you know, but you could be like God. And that's the, the heinous lie in that is like, well, you're not already, but you could be, you could be. And this, that creates an identity. So as soon as they bought into that, like, oh, you mean we could be meaning we're not? Then, then there's an entire, what I call a shadow self. There's a, there's an image of themselves that's created that says, oh, I'm not like the source yet but it could be if I just do these things or if I just take on this knowledge or whatever it is, whatever the rules are. But in that, in that story, it was, you, you know, you need to get this knowledge through this, eating this fruit or whatever, but it's, it's the grasp outside of yourself to become what you feel like you're destined to be. That's the shadow self. And that is a profoundly, I believe to be a false self. It also perverts our desires, twists our desires and, um, it, it, it leads to suffering. And it's, um, but I, I was, that's kind of what I refer to in the book. And a lot, of, a lot of what people are doing in life is they're trying to chase down this sense of significance. And I always say there's a huge difference between living from significance and living for it. Very, very big distinction there.
1: You start the book with a powerful quote from Carlisle regarding the blessedness of finding your life's work. Uh, many people find that almost unattainable. How do you recommend that we go about doing that, and how does that not turn itself into the pursuit of certain significance?
0: Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Well, I, and obviously, the book <laughs> the reason I wrote the book is is to kind of, I, was, I wanted it to be a journey, uh, an expression of my journey because this hasn't been seamless for me, but my process in it. But in in essence, you know, but I think before it is a it's a real gift to be able to do in life, what you feel like, like, this is why I'm here. This is my, my mission. It, it does feel significant, but it's coming from the sense of significance as opposed to, I need to like find it through, you know, through outside means. So one of the ways I think that people can, um, begin to find their work, so to speak, you have to start with the why, what I call the why like you can't, you know a lot of times people are trying to figure out the mechanics or what is it that I'm supposed to do but if you don't know why you're here it's really hard um you're not going to see w- when those opportunities come you probably won't see them um as a fit or you won't see your place in them because it has to ha- it has to have an energetic alignment with what I call the why so really why we're here you know, coming in and there's a, there's a generic kind of big picture purpose. And then there's a more of a specific, uh, individualized, every, you know, that that's true of just us. But the big picture why is I've, I firmly believe that we are here to be the image and likeness bearers of the divine. So, and by divine, I mean, people would say God, some people say the universe, I don't really care. Um, it's not, I'm not really, I don't think God is actually, that concerned about the terminology is as long as we understand the heart behind it. I do believe the source to be love and God. And we know even in the Bible, it talks about God is love. So the source is love and we are literal manifestations, extensions of love. So we are here. I firmly believe we were created by love in love and everything gets in the end summed up By love in love. So, you know, it's kind of like I heard someone saying recently like, there's a story that's unfolding. The beginning has something to do with love, the ending has something to do with love. So, the middle part of it, which is what we would call life here, must have something to do with love. So, I firmly believe that we are here to be the image and likeness bearers of love. And in this in this thing we call life it's a learn i believe it's a we are learning we are and and we're experiencing something um that you can only experience through incarnation by being in a body you know if we didn't have a body there's certain things you couldn't experience so for example like if you didn't have a body no one could tell you what chocolate is like you know so Mm -hmm. you know you have to actually experience it my and this might be a little tangent but I believe that God desires experience. And so when we think of God as all knowing, a lot of times we think of this big super mainframe computer in the sky somewhere that has all this information, but really true knowledge is experiential knowledge. And I believe we are actually, God is actually experiencing reality through incarnation, um, through the created realm. And so when we experience something, God is participating in that, um, through our experience. So when we are here, so God is love, but that love becomes experiential through incarnation. So I really believe that's why we're here is to, and, and part of that is to learn how to, first of all, how to be loved. That's where it starts. When you're born, you do nothing but receive <laughs> babies, do nothing except receive. And that's, that's by design because <clears throat> that's preparing us. So you receive this from trem- an ideal situation, obviously, the, the goal is that we would be born into a family where there's just, we are seen, valued, treasured, and we just receive all that love. And it gives us identity. And then from that identity, we then learn how to give it through life, through experiences. And um, I really believe that's why we're here. That's the why. So we're here to love. Um, now, the specifics as far as your work goes in the world um, – as we receive love and grow in that, there are things that really um, just, you know, Jesus talked about the kingdom of of heaven and is within you, you know, And and that's been, you know, there's a lot of religious terminology and, you know, there's meanings that the church has put on all that. And to the point where I feel like a lot of times it's just unrecognizable like so what does that even mean the kingdom of god's within you or seek first the kingdom and everything will be provided but we know and jesus said like the kingdom the kingdom of heaven is actually within you so there is a place within us and i would call that the heart (laughs) you know and even if you if you just get into a little bit of biology we know that there's two kind of nervous systems. There's the par. there's the, the, the more primitive nervous system that's located at the base of the, the brain. And it's really where all the, f- f- you know, fight or flight response comes from is fear. Or, you know, um, it's really a, it's, it, it was, I think in, a, in an evolutionary way, um, designed to protect us and keep us alive. But there's another, there's a the parasympathetic Nervous system, which people call the heart, around the heart, that operates from an entirely different set of instructions. So it's not about fight or flight. It really operates to states of love and peace. And um, I really believe, honestly, that that's where, um, when we begin to tap into that parasympathetic nervous system, the heart, that's when we begin to experience our highest state of being. And that is our. And that's the state that, you know, people say there's a like God, but that's, um, that's when you start to realize that you have passions and desires that are all, that are very much in line with love. And there's a lot that, that could be impactful I, it's simple in a simple way, you know, as somebody gets settled in life and everybody has that spark, something that excites them, something that when, you know, that, that, that people feel passionate about. Whatever that thing is, you know you're tapping into the heart, and it's, it goes beyond just needing a paycheck or trying to survive. It's like, no, I'm passionate about this. I would do this if money was not involved. That's when you know you're getting closer to your work that you're here to do, if that makes sense.
1: It does. In the book, you refer to a dark period of intense suffering in your own life a few years ago when you ultimately lost the will to live. You found hope in the stories of people who had been through near-death experiences. What was it about those near-death experiences and their stories that was so powerful for you? Oh
0: my gosh, I, I could talk a lot, a lot, a long time about this, but you know, I think, I think the one thing that just really um, awoken me again to my life's purpose, uh, going through that dark period. You know, you, you know, especially when when you feel like life is a struggle and a lot of things are going against you. You know, it's natural to say, what's the point? Like what what is all this? What makes any of this worth it? And then when I started to hear these stories of people who uh, just had these near-death experiences, the change in their life, I think what really got me was how radically different they were after. And and the reason they were different is because they had it was almost like they had these blinders taken off. And they they will often talk about this world as being not the not truly real. Like it's a, it's a, it's a training ground, so to speak. But then they would say, but you know, when they'd have these experiences, and there was a similarity in all of them. And they all had the same experience. Like we were here on purpose. They'd all say this. We were here for a mission. And they they recognized that, that it wasn't their time. That's why they came back. And they had a renewed sense of what that mission was. Maybe not even specifically. But a sense that there was a mission, it had to do with love, learning how to love and and how to be loved. This was consistent and that when their work was done, then they would leave and it was – then it would be their time to to leave. And and, and their their other thing was death isn't actually real, that it's simply a transition, but life is seamless and we are here for a mission. It it just helped me see again like, okay – I'm here for a reason. Like this isn't I'm not just aimlessly here trying to figure out, you know, how to make how to pay the bills and retire. And, and you know, it's just like, no, this the life is meaningful. Like every day I'm alive is on purpose. And and that's what these experiences like when people would talk about these near-death experiences, and it was it didn't matter what their background was. There were some people that had no concept of God that had these near-death experiences that would say the exact same things as people who were religious or, you know, had more formal uh, faith. And it, and it just blew me away. And this, there was a unifying theme in all of it, you know, and it, it all had to do with love. And each one of us has a specific mission and role within this, you know, bigger theme here. And we're here to figure it out to discover it, but it's not all on us. Like we are being guided along the way and it just was so comforting. Um, I, a lot of their stories were just, um, and, 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 when, and the, the lack of fear of death that they lived in after these experiences was profound to me. Um, and the, the, the just the veracity, the purpose, the intentionality they lived life with post these near death experiences to me was um, evidence that something profound had happened to them.
1: You've got a chapter discussing the importance of following the way of Jesus rather than using Jesus as some sort of guru in the heavens. Why does that distinction make such a difference?
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, that's <laughs> it's a big one here. Uh, we talk a lot about this, I think, on the Heretic Happy Hour. But I, I think, um, you know, one of the things I'm convinced here, that Jesus did not come to start another religion as if we don't have enough already. I don't think he came to start another sect, mm-hmm. another another box, another whatever. And, but, the, the re, but the way you start a religion is you have to have a guru. You have to have some guy that is the centerpiece of it all. And I think that, and this may sound shocking, but I, I do believe this is where Christianity has diverted from Jesus' um, message is that I, I don't see Jesus, even when he would say, follow me, it's metaphoric because first of all, he's not here today. And it was very clear that he thought it was good that if he wasn't here, he said, it's better if I go. So clearly it's not about the man, Jesus, who walked the earth 2,000 years ago. He was modeling and embodying a new way of being. <clears throat> and so, you know, and this was very clear, like even, even the statements like when he says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Like, so it's like, look, I'm not interested in the titles. I don't believe there's any ego involved here where Jesus is like, look, you gotta, you gotta believe the right things about me. You have to, you have to have the right terminology. He's like, no, like there's a, you know, the earliest Christians saw themselves as followers of, they call it the way they didn't even have this label of, I'm a Christian. That was a term put on them by others. But this idea was like, no, 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 we're following a new way. It's a new way to be human. It's a new way of life. And in this way, you know there it's and Jesus talked he started his entire ministry entire like public teaching talk started off with talking about money and i found that to be fascinating it's like okay look at the world and look how how it operates there's an economy here you know they're, they're like striving to earn a living so they can eat and have food and clothing and he's like but for you don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear don't worry about that he's like because you know, look at look at nature basically calling us back. Look at the birds. Look how well cared for they are. Look at, you know, just look at look at what's around you. And he would always call us back to the way things operate in nature. There's such provision in nature. Things just it's there. And he's like, and how much more valuable are you? Do you not, do you not know? Like there your heavenly father like knows everything you need. So for you, I'm he's like basically giving us a new mandate. Instead of just like living and striving your entire with a lot of energetic focus. The focus and energy it takes to earn a living really eats up our entire life. And he started the ministry saying, okay, for you, it's not going to be like that. You seek first this kingdom, which by the way is inside of you. So that means he's redirecting our focus internally. Seek first this kingdom and everything you need will be provided. Then he talked, and so much of his teaching talked about loving other people and um, how to see other people as like ourselves and all of this kind of thing. So it's it's a new way of living and of being in the world. And if we get caught up on, you know, wait a minute, it's all about Jesus. Well, that's great. Like, I don't even know what that means at the end of the day, though, if it's not about the new way of life, because people, you can teach a parrot how to like mimic like say certain words like Jesus is Lord, you know, you can claim all the right information about who Jesus is. But at the end of the day, what does that even mean? It's just simply to me, it means I think he's, he's setting himself out as a standard and saying, okay, you know, look at, look at the way I live. Like, you know, and, and as I live by my father's life, basically saying, look, as I live by the source, so you too will also live by my life. Like, which is, I I live from the source and you two are also going to live from the source. And that's why he actually had to leave because we had to become awakened to this internal power, this internal source um, so that we could live the way he lived in the same way. Um, But I think Christianity has kind of gotten off track because we've, we've forgotten that Jesus represents a new way of life and we've actually made it all about the person in a sense of ego. Like, Jesus wants followers in the sense of, you know, fans, so to speak, you know, somebody who just chants his name. And I really don't think that's, at the end of the day, means anything. Um, and I think that's what we see modeled in most most of what Christianity has traditionally been. Um, it's just been fans of Jesus, people who claim all this, they claim to be followers of Jesus, but it's like, but have forgotten that the way is really with a point. And uh, I believe that way runs through everything. That way, this we call that Christ consciousness, you know. And I think even Paul understood this when he said in 2 Corinthians 5 that we no longer view Christ according to the flesh, which is because because it was people use Christ a, a, in a way that's synonymous with Jesus. And when I say Christ, I'm not ref, necessarily referring to Jesus. Um, Jesus was the representation, the manifestation of the Christ and we needed a human standard to see that because that's how we understand anything is when we see likeness so he comes as one of us his favorite title was son of mankind one of your children basically look i'm one of you guys <laughs> but basically is like so we needed that standard to see that but really to go beyond the guru and get and say, okay, no, this is actually a standard of everything. This way, this Christ consciousness, this way runs through, it's like a stream that runs through everything. Um, and we can perceive it. And I think if, even if you look at other, other traditions, other faiths, you can see that way even there. And, uh, because a lot of the things that Jesus taught wasn't unique to him. Uh, you can look through history and see there are people that taught this and believe these things and manifested these things in their life, uh, before and after Jesus, which is, uh, I know a very controversial topic, but it's, I think he's hearkening in the Jewish context, calling us back to the way, um, which is a profound, that's, and that's the, that to me, I think is a really important point that if we're going to live this new life, um, uh, then we have to understand that it's, uh, uh, there is a there is a way to live, and and sometimes the the guru Jesus, when we make him into this idol, um, and I do believe one of the it's very easy to make Jesus into an idol that distracts us from the actual way of Jesus, which I think is really what a lot of Christianity has done.
1: Right, absolutely. We we uh, worship an icon rather than live the teachings sure. uh, that have been passed down to us.
0: Totally, totally.
1: You referred earlier to a slave economy. What's the distinction between the slave economy and the economy of love?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, You know, the biggest distinction I would say is an economy for slavery and which I do believe a lot of the, when we look out there in the world, we see an economy that is distinctively meant to keep you um, laboring for survival. So it's, it's, it takes your focus away from um, the essence of why I'm here, which is to lo- learn how to, to, to be loved and to love and puts it on um, the sense of I need I need to eat bread. You know, I need – I mean that's a simplistic way of saying it, but like I need to put food on the table, which is there anything wrong with putting food on the table? Nothing at all. Actually, we need that. We need that to live. But if that's your focus, so that, then then I need to like give my life away. For basic survival needs. Like, okay, then, then what happens is you it, it's a, it's like this hamster wheel. You just keep running in this wheel and it never stops. It's never, you never get to a point where you're like, okay, now now I've now I've hit the goal. You know, it's like, no, you just keep doing it over and over and over and over. There's no sense of mission in that. It's just literally survival. And then you forget the point. Like, well, why am I actually here? So the the economy of slavery, in my opinion, keeps us in that hamster wheel, just running and running and running and running. Um, and, uh, it, it, we, we're not aware of the reason behind it all. So, but the economy of love is, is when we understand that, okay, I, I don't need to be worried about my basic needs. Now that does sound like <laughs> pie in the sky and that's the biggest pushback is people say, well, that yeah, sounds, that sounds great. You know, that's a, that's a great concept, but, how does that actually pay the bills like will that put food on the table and i'll get to, i want to get to that in a minute but the, the economy of love is when that's not a primary focus you're not actually thinking about how am i going to put food on the table but your primary focus is, is how can i actually give away this love that is that is i sense the sense of majesty and sufficiency and fullness and joy how can i actually give this away to other people and make this world um, a brighter place with this love and light that I am a manifester of, how can I do that in this life? What's so when that's our focus? Focus is how do I, how do I literally serve and love other people? And, and I include that myself in that too. I'm not excluding myself. I think a lot of people when they talk about loving and serving others, exclude themselves, and that's a problem. You no, know, we're a part of that. So, but how do we do that? When the, the economy of love is a focus on of a literally serving and, and imparting to this world something that only we can do because we haven't been here before in that sense. Like, no, nobody, there's nobody with our distinct uniqueness and calling and place in this world. We, we, that's why we're here. So, what is that indispensable thing that we're here to deposit and give away, if that makes sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned in the book the importance of having a childlike mindset. What role does that play in this life in the economy of love?
0: No, I think it's huge. I, th- I think it's. I think it's. Uh, I think it's really huge because if you look at children, uh, children are very are are they're uninterested in a lot of the survival mechanics of survival because they don't. And I and again I'm talking about the ideal situation. If a child is is, uh, deprived of certain, certain human needs, uh, then of course they're going to, that it's going to affect that. But, but in an ideal situation when children are just children, their, their preoccupation is enjoyment, is, is, is play, the discovery of learning. And that I believe is an essential mindset, um, to, because, because life and, and to a child life's magical, you know, it, there's adventure in every day. And their, their only job is to discover that and play and just, and, and I think there was a reason Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Like in order for you to really, you know, enter into this new reality of the kingdom, you really have to have the, you must be like one of these children because children, and that's why I believe Jesus started his entire teaching ministry with talking about money. Because the very thing that takes us out of childlike curiosity and wonder is, is worry, and concern about our life. And that's why he said, don't worry about your life. <laughs> like, you know, take, trying to get us out of that mindset. Of, and, that, and this is really the suffering, the hell that people are experiencing is this fear and dread of loss and not having enough, and which is really a fear of death, but it's, death scares people because it's a sense of being cut off from, from, from life, from source. And, um, and Jesus, I really believe Jesus is saying, look, That's not a concern that should not, I don't want that to be a concern for you because you're all, you're fine. You're, you're loved, you're provided for, you're taken care of. And, but if we don't see that, then we can, that can lead to what I would call it because we are manifesting things. So who's creating the world? I honestly believe that we are the creators of the world. (laughs) So, you know, God, you know, God has given the credit for creating, but we are the hands and feet Incarnation of this divine source. And so, um, if you just turn on the news and look at all the stuff going on in the world, like who's doing that? That's us. Like we're doing that. So we have incredible creative potential and ability to manifest. That's why I think it's really important that. We are awakened to the truth, and the truth meaning that we're loved, that we're okay, that we're taken care of, so that we will manifest things that are in line with that truth. And that's why I think if Jesus started by 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 addressing these things. And calling us back to childhood is, you know, children, you know, when they're not traumatized, and that's a I know we're getting to places now in the world where there's a lot of traumatized children which grow up to be traumatized adults and cause lots of pain. I get that. But when children are not traumatized, they're very very uh, loving there's there's qualities of children you can learn so much from children about being present about enjoyment about discovery that um, that I think is essential so once we start getting back into that that framework that 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 place of and this is this is we need to experience lots of healing to, and, and as we experience healing we're no longer, you know we're not, its not like being naive but you're coming from a place of where you're now reconnected to this source the sense of that life is, is is a miracle that every day is magical it's wonderful it's a gift and as you start seeing that then you start making discoveries well i call that and carl Jung uh would call that he coined the term synchronicity but you, there are synchronous things we've all experienced it throughout the day that will it's things that just are a little bit too that You mean they're mathematically possible, but you look and you go, well, that doesn't seem like a coincidence. That seems really interesting. You start seeing these synchronicities in life. And as you begin to notice that and move into that, that's when life begins to unfold. And you start to realize, oh, this is a big setup. I'm here for a purpose. There's there's things unfolding. And uh, that's why being childlike is so vitally important as we move into this new kingdom way of living.
1: As you know, Jamal, the concepts that you're talking about, they sound so good. And, and, you know, there's just something inside of me that just reaches up and says, yes, I want that. I want to live in the economy of love. But it it seems like in so many ways in our current culture, the deck is just stacked against us, keeping us in this economy of the slavery economy. Uh, You mentioned specifically in your book, the Federal Reserve System, and just, all of the our, the way our government's set up, the way money is handled in our country, in the United States at least, really, and that has influenced the way money's handled around the world. It seems like the deck is stacked against us. What do you say to a reader who reads your book and says, you know, the picture you paint of a life of meaningful love and service is wonderful, and I wish I could live like that. But that's just not how the real world works when you have bills to pay and kids to feed.
0: And that's a great that's a great question. I was actually just having a conversation with a friend the other day about this very thing and, you know, he was saying some similar things and he was saying, you know, um, yeah, what you're saying is great, but that isn't the way life works. And, um, and I would say, and what I would say to that is, see, that's the part of the problem. So whenever you say this is the way things are, that's the way it is. You know, I firmly believe that's a very powerful, like we have the, we have the power. Our mind is are, is incredibly powerful. So if if a person says, well, that's just not how the world works. Well, for them, that's not how the world works. But what I think you can say that in a way that's honest, but also more empowering. So the way I would put put this is, mm-hmm. okay, that isn't the way you have experienced life so far. And the way you've experienced life so far is similar to the way lots of other people have experienced life. I get that. It seems to be that there isn't enough, that we do live in a world of lack, and that the way the world works is we have to give our lives away to earn some money so we can pay the bills and um, and feel like a slave to that. That's the way it has been. That's our experience. Um, but a more empowering way to say that is to say that's been my experience, but... I am open to the fact that there is a new way of living. So when you say that, by saying that, you then say, okay, I'm not the standard. My experience is not the standard. Our experience is simply our experience, but there can be other experiences. So for example, when I, when my belief, I used to believe the same thing. I was in a place where I was like, nope, this is not how the world works. I've seen my dad struggle. I saw, you know, I've seen other people struggle in the world and I, I know my struggle that's just the way it is. But when I got to a place and, and I said, okay, well, maybe my experience doesn't have to be normative. Maybe there's something else possible. And then I started to be, I started to notice other people. And the fact that there were other people living this way. And it just, and then I, you know, at, there's a temptation to say, well, that's just them. That's just, that's just because they're gifted or they had some breaks come to them or they inherited some money or, you know, you can find all the reasons, but they start to realize, no, there are actually people in this world who are living their passions and dreams and somehow money comes to them. Not, it's not like it's just magic. I mean, there's work involved, but it's, they are living, like if they hit the lottery, they, they, I, I used to hear people say, if I hit the lottery, I wouldn't do anything different. I'd still work. I'd still keep my work because my work is. I don't do this for money, even though I get money for it. Like I do this because this is why I'm here. I started to see that and go, "Wow, could I live that way? Is that possible for me?" And so that's when, even though it hasn't been our experience, it then it opens us up to say, "Okay, um, maybe that could." that could actually, maybe I can learn something about that. Maybe, maybe when Jesus said, because you know, I used to read Jesus' own words from Matthew chapter six, when he said, oh, that's the way the world works. They're worried, you know, they're worried about what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear and all this stuff. For you, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. I mean, can you just hear Jesus saying that? Don't, don't worry. And think about what they're thinking. Oh, really? (laughs) Like, seriously? Oh, just don't worry about it. You seek first the kingdom of heaven And everything you need will just be provided. Like that's what Jesus said. I used to read that and go, seriously? Is this, is that even true? (laughs) What does that even mean? And, and, and then I, you know, as soon as I started seeing though, people live this way, I'm going, wait a minute, maybe it's not a sham. Maybe Jesus is actually possible. And I actually believe it is, even though it hasn't been my experience for so many years in my life. I personally now know this is actually real because I'm living it, I'm experiencing it and I'm still growing. it. I don't say that as somebody to say I've mastered it and, you know, somehow, you know, like I've got it all figured out, but I, I am, I am confident – i mean, this is why I, why, why I wrote the book because I'm very confident that this is actually possible and that this is, this way of life isn't just for some privileged few, that Jesus actually desires that everybody experience this new way of life. And I do think it's possible, but, but really everything is the way it is because we've given it meaning. I mean if you look at money, I mean what's money? I mean it's nothing. It's a piece of paper. It's coin. The reason it has value is because we say it does. So we can say any we can say, <laughs> we're making this stuff up. <laughs> so you know we can we can literally I believe that we can determine what it what is real. Um, I mean I've I heard a doctor recently talk about treating a cancer patient and he gave this lady a placebo and she had advanced cancer and he gave her a placebo and she didn't know it and she thought she was taking a dose of chemotherapy and her hair fell out. And um, and she started vomiting, having all the experiences of chemo. But her cancer shrunk. And um, and her body was fighting off the cancer as if she was going through chemo. And it was nothing. But it was – that's. I mean, in the medical industry, they call that the placebo effect. But a lot of times, they don't really hone in on like, why is that work? Why is that so powerful? The placebo effect is powerful because the mind is powerful. Because we have this creative potential that whatever intentions we set and whatever we say – when it's coming from this place of this is the way reality works, it tends to like, there's power in that. And I believe that's because we're made in the image and likeness of God. So, you know, our mind is in our deterrent, our intentions that we set for life are very powerful. So when someone says this isn't how life works, then it's not, then it doesn't work that way. But when we start to say, well, maybe there's another way life could work, then that true becomes true, you know? Um, so that's, um, yeah, it's just it's uh, that's what I would say to that. Obviously, there's a lot more I could unpack from that. But uh, I would always tell people to say, OK, well, just because it's not been your experience doesn't mean it's not possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, another world is possible. Jamal, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this meaningful book. You were kind enough to send me an e-book to review, but I'm ordering a physical copy to put on my top shelf where I keep um, all my favorite books. It meant that much to me. I hope our listeners will get this book and love it as much as I do. Where can our listeners get a copy of your book, and where can they engage with you online? Yeah, you,
0: you know, um, on the fifteenth, uh, my book will be available on Amazon. So Amazon's probably the best best way you can get a copy of it. So it's Living for a Living, and if you just put Living for a Living and put my name in Jamal Javanji. On, on Amazon, um, it'll come up and, uh, it will also be available through like Barnes and Nobles and things like that. You can order it through them, but you know, um, always like to direct people through Amazon. Just, it seems to be the, the easiest way, um, for people to get a copy and people can also engage with me. I have a, um, I have a, a coaching website, which is uh, free to love coaching.com. Um, and I also have a personal website, um, which is just my first and last name, Jamal
1: And we'll put links to the book, Jamal's podcast, and his websites, all included in the show notes for this episode. Jamal, thank you so much for joining me here today.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at messyspirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.